Welcome back to the Art versus Commerce podcast. It is such a thrill to finally put it online and to finally have it out in the world and people being able to listen and respond and send comments. It's uh, it's so cool. Um, it's taken months. I think that the John Bragel podcast was recorded maybe, I mean, last winter. Uh, so if that gives you any indication of the road that it's been on. But now that it's out, you know, I'm hoping to have uh, an episode out at least once a week. I'm thinking Mondays will be the day. And uh, that's the goal. Um, it's been it's been so cool getting feedback from, from people, um, strangers reaching out to telling me, you know, what these conversations have meant to them, the um, what information they're pulling from it or messages or um, inspiration. And I mean, you know, I'm obviously getting a lot out of it as well. Like, I, that's why I'm having these conversations. So um, to hear that other people, it's ha- they're getting that thing and it's they're vibing in that way too. Um, it just it just makes it great and if and it feels special and I'm I'm so happy to uh, be a part of it and doing it and um, I'm glad that you're all here and now that it's on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud you know if you can rate it if you could review it share it around it would be uh, super cool uh, so this week is a buddy of mine Ethan Mills I met him on the set of Mind of a Chef. And that is an award-winning, Emmy award-winning show for PBS and Netflix. And Ethan is the type of guy that you just want to be on set with. He's he's the ultimate collaborator. He is always trying to teach those around him in a great way. You know, I think a set is a really collaborative place. And in the when it's not working is when I don't is when people aren't really explaining their reasoning for things and everyone is kind of demanding things out of each other. And Ethan creates a, uh, this open vibe and he's always explaining his thought process and he's bringing you in. He's just so in- inclusive about how he's trying to make decisions. And I think that that makes everybody be better and everybody becomes better because they're, they're also learning at the same time. And it's, it's always a pleasure to work with him and um, likewise to sit down and have this conversation he is in his mid to late 30s, and so the industry was quite different when he was first starting out. The internet was not what it, what it is today, and that kind of meant, you know, getting your work seen and how you navigate the early waters are not as clear or completely different than they are now. Um, so hearing how he, how he went through that to get where he is now, uh, and then also the conversation that we had about, you know, I think we all want that one project that's really big and has some sort of shift in our careers for us and he had he has that in mind of a chef and it's it's great to hear the realistic ways in which it affects a a career and a life um you know obviously positive outcomes but you know i think that he he's such a he's really down-to-earth realistic guy and he talks about the that he's still living a life of you know being a freelancer trying to make things work trying to do good trying to do good jobs and 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 you know maintain his he has a family has two kids and supporting them and what it's like and I think that um I'm just really grateful for that the opportunity to sit down with him and have this conversation and to pick his brain because he's he's always been the type that is uh he's always willing to share so really grateful for that um so man I am just so excited that we got this thing going and that it's live and uh thanks for being here 
I freelanced doing audio for about a year. Yeah. And then this production company that I work for a lot offered me a staff gig. And I took the staff gig with the caveat that like I wanted to shoot. So like they called me and said, we need a sound guy. This is what we can give you. I was, you know, 23 or something. And I was like, great, but I don't want to be doing sound in three years from now. And they're like, okay, well, we need a sound guy right now. But if you guarantee us a year, we'll, we'll take note that you want to shoot. And we'll try and, you know, move you up. And with that, you can have access to all of the gear and our cameras. So if you want to shoot your own stuff that, you know, at the time, what was the creme de la creme? The, the Sony F900. Okay. Just started with 24p. Like that was like that was a big 239. All of a sudden, that was, it was a like, big deal. Huge. Yeah. So yeah, it was like that and like the very cam. You know, like the yep. first very cam. Yeah. Um, so that was like that was like the carrot that was dangled. You know, it was just like okay, cool. So I'm gonna get a, a regular paycheck with benefits as a 23 year old or whatever, and I can like take these cameras on the weekends and go shoot what I want. What what were you doing on the weekends with this? I was shooting whatever the hell I could, and even during the week, because I'd be what kind of pay, stuff though. Like go to the skate park on the west side on Hudson River and just shoot guys skating. Take the camera to Prospect Park and shoot like soccer games and sports stuff. And, and just, when you're shooting it, what I mean, because the world was different than like Vimeo. Putting yourself on Vimeo wasn't like a big thing at that point. What were what was the goal for you when you were shooting it? To get familiar with the camera. It wasn't even about like showing my it? footage. Did you edit it? At no, all? nope. Like there was no Final Cut Pro. Yeah. It was like if you if you were gonna edit, you had to bring it into the edit room, wow. you know, and get a guy to do it. I mean, and that was like foreign to me. So it was just like I was just doing it to get fluent with the camera were because you even, operating were you those rolling? operating those cameras was different than like, you know, operating a DVX or whatever. It was like it was way more like you had to go into oh, more yeah. elaborate it's menus. Like dealing with like a scientific piece of equipment. Yeah, it's just like a little more. You just had to be more. You couldn't just walk on set and be like, okay, let me just like look this thing over real quick. Okay, I'm good. It's like you had to like know it, you know. Yeah. Or did and you, you just record? had, and you had to like pull focus on these zooms, and you had to like ride Iris, and like so I was just doing that. It was more like it was just practice of the of the actual physical yeah. nature of everything. Yeah, and then once you you know once you're comfortable with that kind of stuff, you start thinking about composition and light, and you know. Um, so how long were you just shoot? So then once what, what was when did you finally start shooting for? So, them or, or for so uh, so if I took that gig, I mean if I took that staff thing, let's say for o two o three, I probably started shooting in like o five. So they they really did make you put in your time. Yeah, I did a full year as an audio guy and was like shooting my own on the side, but it took me, you know, probably a year, a good year to like be put on gigs as an operator, you know, and and the nice it was. It was all timing, as it is always in this business. So it was just sort of like they had guys who were staff who were full-on shooters, but they would get like three camera shoots, like multicam. We do we shoot concerts multicam, or we'd shoot like a three-camera interview so or whatever. It was, you were like second unit, so I got that kind of thing. yeah. So I got bumped onto you know I like it was really easy to make that transition um, because they provided me the opportunity and I because I was staff, I didn't have to go through like self-promotion. It was like clients would call the company and they'd say, okay, these are your camera operators. And and the client would care about like the DP. But if I was like C cam or third camera. Yeah, you're just part of his team. They're like, okay, if the company's vouching for him, he's on, you know? Whereas like, I think, you know, if you're freelance, it's obviously a harder transition to make, especially coming from audio. It's like the, all of a sudden you have to 
have something to show. Like you, and yeah. it's, now it's obviously totally different because you you can upload stuff and it's easier to share footage. But at but at the time it was like you got to convince clients that you're capable and be able to show them something or at least have a credit list, which yeah, is hard of, to get. All of that is is just you know <clears throat> what used to take a long time because the professional barriers to entry are just so high. Yeah, but that that stuff has changed. When did things start taking off? And you were you were just jumping ahead a little bit, and you were. What was the first thing that you like that you DP'd, and it was you making that visual? It's hard for choice. I think technically, probably there was a deal they had at that company with MTV Two, which was kind of like a a junior op sort of situation. So they 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 basically they gave the crew an opportunity and they gave the client a cut rate. So it was like MTV Two was just doing like host segments, you know, like a host at a club and we sort of would bounce around the city and shoot in different clubs, different venues during the day when they were closed and they would do like top 10 countdowns or they do interviews with bands. And that was like my segue. And again, that's a timing thing. It was like all of a sudden I was totally unqualified to be a quote unquote DP, but I had done enough to know the instruments and stuff. And, um, and when you were doing, when you were doing that, were you, um, you know, the first times that you're starting to actually DP where your aesthetic is on the line and your creative decision-making is on the line, how did you, how was that experience where people are now critiquing you and telling you what you're doing right and wrong and, like, you might disagree with them, but it doesn't matter because they're the client. What was that whole thing like for you? Well, that was, like, that MTV2 situation was kind of ideal for that because it was forgiving, because it was, like, the client knew that they were getting like a junior like a like a junior operator in a dp position so you know it was a little more forgiving and what like if you if you set something up and they're looking at the monitor and they're like mm, i'm not really feeling it then it's like okay you know little, what, what are you thinking and you know it was collaborative as as it is you know all the time but it was less critical you know and it was more like you that didn't have producers like barking at you like you should know. Yeah. You know, it was more like, okay, let's figure this out. And it was lucky. I mean, it really was like kind of the ideal breeding ground for that stuff because the pressure was a little lower. I yeah. mean, you still had your day and you had to make your day and you had to get your stuff done, you know. But um but yeah, it's just like in terms of like the like the the stakes, they were definitely a little bit lower and it kind of everybody was on the same page in that regard. How long did that last? Uh I don't know. I mean, that that went on for a long time, but I think I sort of segued out of it into like higher end stuff for that company. Yeah. When was the first thing that probably you like oh six or oh seven that you felt the heat? Uh, the first. <laughs> we used to do this <laughs> yeah, thing. Give me the juicy stuff. I know. I know. We used to do this thing for ni- these promos for Nickelodeon. They were really like interstitials. It was for Nick at Night, uh, and I still have relationships with some of those producers, which is funny. But like. It was like a one-ton truck and like a two-and-two G&E team, you know, and the setups were pretty straightforward in hindsight, but at the time, I'm going from an Airy kit in like a windowless club, you know, and like, you know, a a cross key or like a host with 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 a stick mic set up to 10 people, maybe some kids, you know, flying a 20 by in the middle of the day, um, you know, and so a lot more things to consider. Yeah, yeah. So that was, I would say, the first job that was like, okay, the stakes were a little higher. People expected more. You know, it was like a real job with like proper crafty and like, 
you know, a bigger crew and a G&E crew who are like seasoned G&E guys, you know, who like came up doing like, you know, the golden age of like hip hop, like music videos, which a lot of New York guys sort of cut their teeth doing, you know, like Hype Williams days. And so did you, did you, were you nervous? What, how did yeah. you deal with that emotionally? I just tried to hide it. <laughs> and I, le- and you know what I did? I leaned on those guys, you know, like I leaned on those guys. I mean, cause I knew I had good relationships with the, the grips and the gaffers. There, man. They'll, they'll get you at any hole. Right. And I didn't have to play it off. I was, you know, those guys knew me. They knew me when I was doing sound and they knew me when I was a C op and they knew me, you know, so they knew, all right, all right, Mil-, you know, they call me Millsy or whatever. They'd be like, all right, Millsy, so this is a good gig. I'm glad you're doing this. All right. So we're going to make this look sweet, you know, and they were like fully supportive. And oh, those okay. are the dudes that I'm still hiring all the time because they're rock solid. But um, obviously that's a big difference then. And I'm, I remember shoots when those guys weren't available and they would call on their, you know, you know, guys that were perfectly competent, but I didn't know. And you didn't have that. And it was like, oh shit, okay, I got to make more of the calls now. I got to, it's yeah, on me a little bit more. Yeah, they're relying on you. They're, they're not, they're, they wouldn't step up because right. under any other circumstance, that'd be the wrong thing for them to do in their position. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, dealing with, with clients and, and bigger artistic asks, like what, what was that kind of dealing with that level of critique, knowing what's on the line, especially for, I guess, national broadcast. Yeah. It's humbling, man. It's like, you know, it, you would get somebody in your ear like, all right, listen, we're half an hour behind. You guys are taking too long to do this. Like, we got to make a move right now. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit, okay, this is this is real. And uh, moving forward, you know, and, and but also you learn very quickly, like, sort of what's acceptable and what's not. You learn where to compromise. And some of that, I, th- you know, in, I don't remember specific instances, but there were definitely times where, like, I would have my gaffer and he'd be like, dude, it's good enough. And I'd be like, you know, finessing some shadow and i'd be like we gotta get this and they'd be like he'd be like dude we don't we're 40 minutes behind the line producer's bugging out so and like you, we gotta go it's like learning the nature of it's it's good enough yeah and did that did that and what's you? acceptable what that did line it, is yeah you know? like did it beat you up like where were you it still beats me up yeah <laughs> like when you, i mean how how obviously we all hold ourselves to a high standard but like how are you in terms of that that i don't know self-ridicule like if you you know what is that I think we all go through it person like individually and we don't talk about it but we all do it. Yeah. How do you do like what what is that process like? Or especially um, back then. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm I think now, just having more of a trained eye, right? I'm like way more critical now. Then it was it's just that I didn't know what was as good then. You know, it was just kind of like okay, this looks great. If I look at that stuff now, I'm like, oh my God, that was really pretty bad. But it was also like what it was. But um, yeah, that's all part of it. I mean, I feel like it's very rare that you walk out of a job where you're like, that was exactly what I wanted it to be. You know, like sure. exactly perfect. I mean, because so many things you, need you, to that's align. Almost, that's almost the problem. Because you're like, well, my standard, what happened to my standards? Yeah, I mean, I th- you, need, you need, you know, like any sort of, craft or art form it's like you need to be your biggest critic right and so you know i always walk out like yeah even on the best days it's like yeah they look that looked pretty good i'm I'm pretty happy i mean i wish we could have done this you know or i wish we had a little more time to do this or well, i wish I think it's i think it's easy to beat yourself up to a point where it goes because there's like the, it's it's kind of i'm trying to find for myself personally the line between you know 
beneficial ridicule or right. or critique of, of one's self. Right. And then, you know, where it's just like, well, this is this is unhealthy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's true. I mean, and I think different people struggle with that differently. I, I don't beat myself up about it. I mean, especially, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is just like, you know, not exactly like passion project or like, you know, on a feature or something, I think I'd be way more critical, you know, but I'm, I'm doing a lot of other stuff that just like the standards are different, you know, broadcast and just stylistically, you know, like maybe you don't have as much freedom or you like, you go into it with them having, you know, a preconceived notion of what they want it to look like. And a lot of, in a lot of those cases, you're just kind of carrying it out. Yeah. Just executing. So you're responsible for executing efficiently and you're responsible for delivering, you know, what they are asking for, but it's not necessarily your creative vision as a DP, you know, you're just... And like embracing that that's the situation and not letting that like beat you up. Yeah, because, you know, if if you start, if you start beating yourself up about that, you're always going to be super frustrated, you know, and then that's going to come across with your attitude and then you're not going to get that call, you know, and maybe that's not your dream project, but that's the project that's going to pay the rent, so... You know, you've got to balance that. Yeah. Which is huge, obviously, a huge thing, especially living in New York. It's like you have to take gigs that you don't want to take. And that, that that's never left. Yeah. For yeah. you. No, definitely not. I mean, I'm just not there, you know. Like maybe, I mean, I look forward to it. If it does ever leave, I mean, I was listening to another podcast, uh, cinematography podcast recently, and like with this DP that I really respect and, they were talking about like big commercial DPs that they love and they go to their site and there's like, you know, three spots on it, you know? And it's like, well, I know in the past year you've had to shoot more than three spots because like everyone's got to pay the freaking bills. It's just like, that's not what you're going to put on your reel or that's not what, how you, that's not where you're going to market yourself as because that's not the work you want to be doing, you know? Sure. But you got to do, what you, you know, you have to do what you have to do. And of course there's a line. I mean, there's, I definitely say no to a lot of, jobs and I'm glad that I'm fortunate enough to do that. When did that start happening? When was when 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 did it go from yes to everything to needing to have some selection? I don't know, probably like four or five years ago. What was the um indicator for you that it was something to start doing? I think I got a couple of credits that were like a little more well respected and I think I have been doing it enough that I I was confident enough that I had a, that the next call is going to come, you know, mm-hmm. where like I was shooting enough, I had enough clients that if I say no to this, I'm not going to be like unable to pay my rent. Something else is going to come in, you know, and maybe it's like maybe I'm just day playing. I mean, I'm not above day like operating for other people's projects. I love operating. I love walking on. Well, and it's a actually, way to get on someone else's set. Totally. And learn from other people. And like and, you know, it, it's a different practice. You know, it's like. I love just like being in the zone with a camera, especially handheld, uh, and just focusing on that, you know, and not dealing with any of the politics and taking direction. That's great. You know, I mean, it's like, it's refreshing. So, so, you know, I, you know, and I've been in New York for a long time. And so it's like, I always feel confident that like, you know, if I'm turning down too much work, cause nothing worth it is coming in to DP or I don't want to, dedicate that much time to it or whatever, then I can get local work to pay the bills right. and not have to get the credit, you know, not have to have it, you know, on my resume or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And did you, um, when was that, when was the first time, obviously, I mean, you're doing things that I think a lot of people, that you've already mentioned, you know, a national spot for Nickelodeon that is like this massive shoot is a big deal. But what was the first time that you, that you were like, oh yeah, this is the thing, this is a huge thing for me personally. That, that was a big thing that everybody, I mean, something that was obvious, but something that got you personally excited. Um, I mean, I got, I, mean, I got excited even, even in those same sort of years where I was starting to get like, you know, DPing like promo stuff in smaller commercials. Like, I mean, I got excited by like big interview days with like Mick Jagger, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's like a VH1 interview uh, which now VH1 doesn't have the, you know, it used to have a little more clout and they would get, you know, it was way more music centric, but it was like, okay, I'm, I'm shooting freaking Mick Jagger. Like I'm stoked on that. And then it's like on like the 15th floor of the Waldorf overlooking the city. And like, we're timing it for magic hour and we're gelling windows and we're using HMIs and like, you know, it's a three and three crew and like the, those things got me stoked. And that was probably like, I don't know, like a wait or something like that. Yeah. You know, and I was in over my head and I look at that footage and I'm like, oh, I could have made that, you know, I wish I got that gig now. Yeah. Um, when you started working for, because we met through 0.0 mm -hmm. and you were shooting, you do shoot Mind of a Chef, you mm -hmm. have from the beginning. Yeah. And it's um, an Emmy award winning show. What is it? What's your take on being a part of something that's, I mean, their their productions involve so many people. Especially on in post, it's it's incredible. Yeah. What is it? What is it like to be a part of something that is recognized in that way? Uh, for me, it's huge. I mean, definitely that show has sort of propelled my career to a degree. I mean, the Emmy obviously is big, um, but just being associated with that company, you know, doing they do they just do really good work, and as a DP, they embrace like your feedback and, and top to bottom like they embrace your feedback just in designing the rigs you know and like things like that 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 provide you the opportunity to do your best work you know people people don't think about those kind of things they're just like oh yeah i mean it happens now oh yeah we love that show and they hire you for something comparable and, you know oh we love all the food stuff you've done we want it to look like that and it's like okay well you know, this is what we should get. And they're required. like, well, we have this in-house camera and we have, we don't have the budget for additional rentals and like make it work. And you're kind of like, okay, well, it's not going to be the same thing, you know? But anyway, I'm digressing, but it's like that they, they've given me a ton of opportunities, you know, for sure. At what point did you, cause I'm always interested. How do you know when you're on a, on a project or a shoot that is going, that has like a lot of potential? Cause sometimes I think it's hard to tell, like at what point did you realize that you're that you're working on something quite special. It is hard to tell. It's always hard to tell, especially when you're in it. I mean, and even with that show, which is now you know four seasons deep and you know has gotten some recognition, it's like I still feel like even on this last season, you know, you kind of walk out of it like, uh, I know we got some good stuff, but you don't really ever know until it airs. Um, but I, you know, I felt like season two, once we boxed it into like a format and we were like changing the, we changed the cameras we used, we sort of changed our, our package. We changed our whole approach and we got some really good, really, really great talent. What, what informed those decisions? Like, cause you were a part of those, of that decision making? Uh, a little bit. I mean, they basically the, what the 
what informed it the most going from season one to season two is that they, you know, they got a, a deal for a new season with a new network. And, um, so all of a sudden the budget changed right? and it was like, okay, we have the money. So now we got to shoot this for broadcast. And, uh, they do the board, you know, the Anthony Bourdain stuff, uh, at the time it was no reservations. So, you know, they've really invested in a, like a tight circle of super qualified DPs who have been around a lot longer than I have. So, you know, and they, ha- and they have a really efficient gear room. Um, so that's like a constant conversation and dialogue between the guys in the field and the gear room. And they will, you know, go out and, and, take feedback when they come back from shoots and, and implement it, you know? So whether it's with the package and adding some, some lenses or building out the handheld rig or, a, you know, just making changes to accommodate us because those shoots are really scaled down. So a lot, you carry a lot of weight as a DP on their, pro- yeah. on their production. Today. And how do you, I mean, I've seen you do it. We, we've worked together on it, but um, I'm curious, like how, how are you bringing your personal aesthetic to it? Uh, oh God, I don't know. I mean, you know, I they to be honest, like they give you. I mean, we we have a dialogue going into a season about who that chef is, what you know, what kind of like their vibe is, what their pedigree is, where they come from, how their approach to food, and all those things are talked about in pre-pro. And like, is there, and translated to the look. Yeah, because part of what I love is that their their approach to food ends up really imbuing itself in the approach to the cinematography. Yeah, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and it always sets it apart. Like, I it's it's hardly a food show. It's right. a, it's a portrait of an artist, and that artist being the chef. Right. Um, which I you know that that's I think I think that's why it's yeah it does so well. Yeah, I think that's what makes it unique. It's really it's really and the name is very fitting because it is intended to be like more of a a documentary portrait of that chef and their you know philosophies on food and their you know where they came from how they perceive food how they prepare food where they source food all that stuff but that stuff takes precedence over you know standing cooking demos you know yeah Uh, oh for sure but all of that does inform sort of like the way we're going to shoot it you know Mm -hmm. if you're a chef in California and you're known for like fresh California cuisine, et cetera, it's going to have a different look despite the fact that you're shooting on location. Obviously that's the biggest thing. Um, it's going to have a completely different look and feel than if you're shooting, you know, small East village, uh, New York chef, you know, from a totally different pedigree and a totally different approach and, and has a different approach to the food. So we try and translate that. Oh yeah. That keeps it a lot of, that keeps it fun because it's not, you know, I think shooting, what what many would consider a standard cooking show that probably doesn't even exist anymore from like the 90s type of format or or, or, or early aughts like that 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 wouldn't be so mundane right and rote in terms of just doing the same thing over and over again it, it constantly is changing when you when you win when you're part of an emmy winning production what changes for you as a freelancer um because you, you said that it kind of gives you that clout now, or you're able to make certain decisions. Like, what what was that shift? Did you? Because exp- it sounds like you experienced something. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, the big thing is just like it's a confidence boost. You know, it's nice to like be recognized and feel a little bit vindicated. You know, I mean, you work on, we all work on tons of projects that you know we feel like we're doing good work and 
for other reasons, you know, sometimes outside of our control, the show, the project isn't successful, you know, or you're doing shorts, you know, whatever. And it's just something that you, you do, you feel like you're doing good work at what you do, but you're not going to get the same recognition as if you get this award or whatever, you know? So, so it's a nice pat on the back, which is good. You know, it's like, sometimes it's like, well, it's like, for me, it was good timing. And, um, why? Yeah, just because I was working my ass off on a, on, a, on a few different things. And I felt like, you know, is this sustainable to just do this type of work, grinding it out, doc, you know, doc work um, f- with, you know, with not a lot of recognition, maybe. And like as much as I love doing the project, you know. Because of the genre? The genre doesn't really give recognition to yeah, the shooter. Yeah, because of the genre. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um and uh, so there's that, and then and then yeah, and then I think it was also in probably coupled with that sort of confidence boost is just like a little more willingness to say no to other stuff. That came definitely with getting the rec- a little bit of recognition was just being like you know what, <laughs> I think maybe I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. One. Whereas maybe last year I would have said yes to that. Um, but saying no to certain things has caused, I feel like every person that I speak to, there is a, a moment, especially in a freelancer's life or career where it's like that moment where you finally do feel comfortable saying no. If you pick it at the right time, generally a lot of good things happen. For sure. And what, what was, what, what happened for you? Um, well, it's relatively recently, so Nothing, I mean, I don't think there's been any big moment for me. I mean, I've definitely gotten more call, I mean, I've gotten more work and it's, it's opened a few other doors, I think. Uh, And I'm speculating, obviously nobody says, hey, you know, I mean, people will say, hey, you know, I'm calling you for this project and congrats, you know, so you know that they're aware. Right. But, you know, it's not as black and white as like, ah, you know, you won that. Emmy, so yeah. I want you to shoot this. It's more like I saw your work, you know. Yeah, it's exposure. It's exposure. Actual exposure instead of like instead of yeah, yeah. and also instead of having to like direct mm-hmm. someone to your site or having to be referred by somebody, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. It's more like oh, whatever production company is doing this show about food or is doing this doc, you know, or whatever, and then they know oh, I really like this show, Mind of a Chef. Let me look into who's shooting it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, it just it's just exposure, I think. Um, but I don't know. Because you're heading towards, we're not heading towards, but I know that you're trying to do more narrative stuff, scripted yeah. stuff. Yeah. Why? Where is the allure in that? Uh, I just like the process, you know, and like, I, and and because of sort of my route, my path, I didn't have an opportunity to shoot a lot of narrative stuff when I was younger. I didn't, you know, or, or like work on shorts when I was in film school or any of that. So it's reasonably new to me. I mean, I did, when I had access to the cameras, I did do some short narrative stuff, um, with just friends. Cause it was like, we were all young. We were all like, yeah, we're in this business cause we want to make movies, you know? And even though we're making TV or shooting like via MTV stuff, you know, we have the tools and it was a practice, you know? So, we would shoot some shorts, but now, you know, we're all more qualified. We're all more comfortable with what we do. Uh, for for me, like I'm way more comfortable like taking risks than I would have been. I think you know what kind of risks? Just aesthetic risks, you know. Like in what way? In in any in just like 
not being scared to be like underexposed or not being scared to be like, you know, super moody for a scene because it makes sense. Whereas when I was just learning, it was like, oh no, like I have to have this fill light. Following the rules. Yeah, a little bit of following the rules, checking the boxes because like, you know, that's the way I, you know, I was taught for whatever, for that particular format. And obviously broadcast TV totally different aesthetic than like some sort of you know Must be narrative li- film li- liberating you're finding super liberating and i think it's it translates even it's it's you know it's like once the technical once you're comfortable with and confident with the technicalities and you're not sort of overwhelmed or intimidated by them then you can start to like be creative you know then you can be like yeah fuck it we're gonna shoot this with one light you know yeah. or who do you look or practicals or and I, I attribute a lot of that to Mind of a Seth via 0.0 via the guys who do the Bourdain stuff. I mean, those guys were huge inspirations because like super talented and like they kind of like paved the road a little bit for our show in terms of just like going out with a very, you know, pretty minimal package because you don't have the people to support it. You can't do huge. I mean. And things happen quickly. And things happen it's, quickly. It's still dock. You're sh- yeah, it's dock. Exactly. You're shooting in operating restaurants. You're, you know, but you need to still create mood, you know? And so, like, how do we do that with these limited tools that we have, you know? So now it's 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 one of those things where working in one genre is helping you be better in another. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard Deacons talk about it, you know, obviously the, the, the man, but, like, he's from dock background, you know, and he credits his dock experience with, like, everything because he – because – you know, his whole approach to everything is like, all right, I just think about like, okay, if I'm creating this scene, like what would naturally create that scene? What what would it look like? Okay. Yeah. You know, and then translate that into, okay, I have like a bunch of 10 ton trucks and like all these people to make it happen with all these tools. But the approach comes from walking into a room with a 16 mil camera on your shoulder and like some bounce and being like, okay, it hones your gut reactions. Yeah. You know, which your, your instincts is really... And that's the base. I mean, that's the foundation, you know? Yeah. Because you, you were saying that you really like the process of narrative. What What is that process comparatively? Well, the big... I would say the biggest thing is pre-pro. Like, uh, actual, like, elaborate conversation about the aesthetic of the piece. Um yeah, that doesn't happen that often in... I mean, Mind of Chef, it does happen, in, but I think it's an and exception. And there you go with the, the benefits of that. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah. I think um, it translates. I mean, it's like everything you... Re- you know, anytime you're reading like cinematography forums or magazines or whatever, it's... there's The, the consistent theme is like creating a plan and then like carrying it out. There, things always go awry in the field. Like there's always going to be things out of your control. You're always going to make compromises. That's kind of part of the fun. Right. And that's where like a lot of skills come into play there. But like for a consistent look for something that like is going to carry through a season or a film or whatever, like you need to have a plan and like, it's our job to write, like take that conversation with the creatives and like translate that into the technical side of things and be that liaison, right? But also to like sort of stay true to that. So that's one thing in my it's very limited experience shooting narrative stuff that I really enjoy is like, you know, getting references and like researching that kind of stuff and like, and then putting our twist on it, but like 
but really having a plan and having a well thought out plan yeah. going into it and then sort of like keeping people honest to it, you know? Well, that's because okay, I was, it's, it's always easy in doc to, if you don't reach your goal or if you feel, if you feel like you fell short, you can always blame it on circumstance right. because, Hey, things happen. It's doc. Yep. And one of the things that is great in terms of the pressure that narrative puts on you is that there's no one to blame. Yep. You had, I mean, you don't have all the time. Because obviously there's budget restraints, whatever, but you pretty much have all the time, right? Comparatively, right. And you have the tools that you wanted that you asked, and for. obviously budget restraints again. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's it's you know it it gives you more responsibility, but it's also like I mean I really enjoy that side of things. Do you want to be heading more towards it uh, to take over like more than fifty percent of your work? If, yeah, if for you could? sure. If I could, yeah. Has that always and been And maybe that'll case? change if I'm shooting more of it and I'll be like, mm, you know what? I've been like, you know, on this, I've been doing 30 takes of the same shot and like, I really love the spontaneity of doc. You know, I think like a balance would be like ideal world. How, going, you know, from, from when you started and first started um, getting DP credits and doing it, was this some sort of end goal? Like, at, w at what point did this notion that you wanted to be doing more narrative like because i think i'm always wondering how people are planning that type of yeah course i would say subconscious well a little bit subconsciously i going way back to when i was like just starting paing and stuff like that you might not have been informed my, enough but, no but my interest in production was like i'm interested in photography and i'm and i love films you know, and so like I, that was I want to make movies. So how do I get into this business? But I didn't. I had no awareness of the difference in circles between features and TV or anything else. To me, it was like production is production. There's cameras. There's lights. These guys are making something. It's a craft that I don't know that much about. How do I learn? You know. So I got my foot in the door in this world. I sort of went up the ladder a little bit in that world, and then now I'm na I'm still navigating like transitioning into the other world, you know. Um, so, so I think that was always there for sure. But I don't think I started like making a concerted effort to shoot stuff on the side, you know, and like you know reach out to friends of mine who were working in narrative and just be like hey get me in like i'll shoot for free yeah. i'll operate like i just want like working with actors i mean that is like invaluable and like you don't have access to that if unless you're working with actors you know so it's like and just working off a script you know all these things that are it, it is a different process so you know i'm still a rookie in that in that world man which is is it and that's i would imagine that that's like a necessary thing to have to keep your spark yeah going because i mean it's and like you said like getting the emmy was something that you almost needed because it was validation and i mean i can understand how do you deal with with um losing inspiration or like going through do you go through creative ruts like what are those i mean because if you're hired often to be a, a dp or a shooter on another project it's kind of like you could just absorb whatever creativity is happening in that thing. Yeah. But for you personally, is there something that you try to keep up and like, how do you do that? Yeah. Uh, I definitely go through creative ruts and I definitely, you know, I have like, uh, I've had for a while now, like a unique situation where like I have a family at a reasonably young age and I have like overhead that is like dictates a lot of my decisions in a creative field. That's tough. Cause you, uh, you often feel compromised. You're often like, 
do I want to take this job? No. But do I have to take this job? Yes. You know, and then it's like, well, how do I figure out how to like get through this and get as much out of it as I can instead of just beating myself up every day? Like, why am I doing this? It's like, okay, well, you know, what can I bring to this? How can I make it better? And what can I take away from it? And then when it's over, what can I do to like feed the beast? You know, um, yeah. whether it's like, you know, writing or it's like, you know, doing pre-pro for a short that it's going to be a weekend shoot in three months, but it's like something to look forward to and something to actually like be creative while prepping for, you know? Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. So you're very, so you're, you, you act, you're actively trying to keep that, feed the beast, as you said, like you're actively trying to do oh, that, yeah. even though you might be having, because I mean, a lot of times with these shows, you can end up having like a three month block that's totally booked, which totally. is fantastic for the bank account, for the bank account. But, but you're, but there's still something underneath that like needs to be satisfied. Yeah. That's in a totally different yeah. world. I mean, you know, the reality is what we're doing or what I'm doing there's a ceiling so it's like what kind of what ceiling of what uh, like a financial ceiling financial so even if you're taking a three-month gig and you're like oh yeah it's good for the bank account it's only so good for the bank account it's all relative you know so it's like uh, so yes i need to you know you need to make your you need to make your month or you need to cover your overhead whatever so you need to take gigs you don't want to do but like i would be way more depressed if i didn't have some sort of side project that i was working on that was like you know, inspi- keeping me inspired and motivated. And, and I think, you know, then also just keeps me inspired on the, the other project, you know, and keeps me in a better mood and, you know, whatever. So, you know, if that went away, then it's like, well, then I might as well like, you know, be a banker, you know, if, yeah. I, if I'm just checking, <laughs> if I'm just checking out and just showing up every day and shooting for the paycheck and like, I don't, I don't, I couldn't care less about the content and I couldn't care, you know, then it's like, and if that was like a full-time thing that was just going from job to job to job, which can very easily do, especially if you're like full on hundred percent committed to reality or whatever. Yeah. Well then it's just like, then you need to start rethinking your priorities and you're like, okay, well then why am I living in New York with all this overhead and then having to take job after job after job? Like, and for me personally, it's like, I'd rather just move to the middle of the woods somewhere and like, you know, just take some corporate job or something. If I'm just, if I'm just looking to make money. You know, yeah. it's not why I got into the game, but reality is you got to do a, I have to do a certain amount of it to make a living. And then I have, you know, a creative trajectory and, and long-term plan that you have to take baby steps to sort of like keep it moving in that direction and feel like, I just need to feel like I am continually moving in that direction. And when you're doing this, is are you... How much are you like hope versus hope, like con- really considering that that the creative stuff might be that might take you to that next place? I don't know. I'm kind of I'm not a pessimist, but I'm I'm a realist maybe. Like, okay. I don't think I'm as much as I would love to be. I don't think or I can't assume. Let's just say I can't afford to assume hmm. that I'm going to be shooting, you know, multi-million dollar features and being able to shoot two features a year and like cover my overhead and right. be able to turn down all this other way. It's just not, it's, it's just not realistic in my world right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, my ideal world would be like, I can 
do all these other things in enough moderation where I'm making enough money to live comfortably for my family and then do these other passion projects. Like I don't really give a shit. I mean, I'll, it could be a $200,000 indie feature, you know, and if I can do a couple of them a year just to get my, just to get, you know, get just to, yeah. f- to check that box and just like not check that box. Cause that sounds like desensitized, but like, you know, to just get to, to, to feel that creative, to feel drive, that, yeah. yeah, you know, to fill that void. Cool. Like, you know, I mean, I guess that's the difference between like, you know, like kind of like the art of it and, and then like the craft of it, maybe. I don't know. It's just like, or the technical side. Yeah, like the technical side. Like you have these te- being hired to be a technician. Yeah. You have this trade. Yeah. And you can implement in all sorts of ways. I mean, there's super talented guys that are shooting industrials and corporate videos, you know, and it's just like, because that's the way life goes. And like, it, you know, it's still better than sitting in a cubicle, you know, and like, you need to sort of carve your lane and figure out like, okay, how much of my life do am I willing to dedicate to this type of it? You know, like, or, or am I just to the point where I'm beat down and I'm tired from this production world? And it's like, I'm just going to do corporate videos because like they have big budgets and I can make a lot of money and I'll just produce them and shoot them. And like, and that's all I need. Mm-hmm. And I can have more time with my family, whatever. I'm not, I, like, I, I'm not judging anybody because like that's life, man. Like that's how you, you know, the, the Hollywood feature idea is a v- micro portion of guys who are out there who are talented that actually get that deal guys or girls or, you know, everyone. It's like, that's a really small sliver, you know? So I just, I'm at the point in my life where I can't just like bank on that, you know? Sure. I respect the shit out of people who do and are just like, they let everything ar- else around them in their world sort of take back seat to this goal to be like the best at what they do and just fully dedicated to that. And, and you know, there's a lot of enabling in there. Some people like finances aren't an issue. You know, some people right. have family money. Some people are like, yeah, my dad bought me like an Alexa package. So now I can go start shooting features and I can build my feature reel. And then there you go. You know, it's like, and again, not judging. It's just like, that's not my deal. My deal is like, I started as a PA, I'm paying my way all the way up. And I had a family, I'm fortunate enough to have a family. So it's like, my balance is like, getting my creative fix, however I can, and paying the bills. And if I can pay the bills doing something that I'm creatively stimulated by, well, then it's like best case scenario, you know? Yeah. And I've been lucky enough in the past couple of years to sort of carve that out where like I've done a couple of shows that are like, they're not narrative stuff, they're not feature stuff, but they're interesting. Oh yeah, you can totally And they care about creative. the look and you can get your fix. Totally, my name is Chef, you're absolutely getting your fix. Totally. And then I do this other show that's less aesthetic and it took me a long time to sort of come around. I mean, it's one of those shows that you have, like I feel compromised, you know? Like mm. I've, I fought the good fight for a half of the first season where I was just like, we can make this look so much better. Just give me 15 more what minutes. What was holding you back? Just uh, Production, you know? Like yeah, they were yeah. just like, that's not this show. And I'm like, nobody can be this show and there's no reason for it not to be this show and it will only aid this show. Like I'm not doing it because like I want to toot my own horn. I'm doing it because like it works with the content. But the producers were just like really kind of indifferent about the aesthetics. They mm. were like, "That's this is a science show. This is about like hard science and like we don't really, it can look like, in my opinion, it can look crappy, which in their opinion, my crappy is like, 
they're like, oh, it looks great. You know, yeah, and I'm like, but yeah. it doesn't look great. I'm like, because, well, you just know that you know what you're capable of and you see something that isn't finished and, and I'm they a say D- it's finished. And I'm a DP and I'm talking to an EP, you yeah. know, and it's different. It's just a different conversation, you know? <laughs> and so you fight as much as you can until you realize, okay, I'm either going to lose the gig and it's going to go to somebody else. And some jobs I've been like, I'm fine with losing this gig. Mm-hmm. That job, I really enjoyed the crew. I made, I had good friends. We were all kind of in the same boat. We all felt a little bit compromised, but we loved talent. It was super educational. So it was like the content of the show was like, it was kind of like sketch comedy, but it was also really freaking. It's great when you enjoy the actual content You're of, learning. of these shows. So yeah, it's awesome. I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, the lighting is super compromised here, but, and, and you know, and there's like, you know, whatever. Maybe like not the most competent operators or whatever, but um, I'm learning and I'm laughing and that's my day today. And so like, it could be a hell of a lot worse, right? I could be like chasing around some housewife or something. Oh God. So I'm lucky well, enough to, have that to be able to say no to those things and yes to these things and still get something in return and be making a living. I mean, living in this great city and then also have another lane that I'm trying to carve out. That's way more sort of creatively fulfilling that is, you know, seems to be working in baby steps, you know? Yeah, man. I've done some shorts. They've had success. have done some more that are being edited. There's a couple more coming up, and it's just like, that's cool. As that's, long as you got the creative pipeline continually flowing, it's kind of... Yeah, it's everything like... Everything else is, is copacetic. Right, I mean, it's like, it's like the equivalent of, like, you know, painting in your little attic, you know? It's like, you're just doing it for the process. I'm not doing it because I think I'm going to be, like, shooting the next, you know... Danny Boyle movie is just not realistic. Right. I mean, yeah, if that happens. You, you wouldn't say no. That's not one of those you turned down. <laughs> well, cool, man. I, um, you know, I, I thank you for being on and um, I've always appreciated, I think that you are one of the people on set that are trying to teach everybody and I know that I, you taught me a lot. Okay. So, you know. Cool. Uh, thanks a lot for being on the podcast. It's great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for even thinking of me, man. Cool, man. And it's been good working with you too. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the, that's the best thing about this business working with different people all the time and it's so collaborative it's like i mean you get a lot of joy out of that alone oh just yeah. the human aspect of it for sure you know it's a big part for me i mean you can be on something that's god-awful content wise and making all sorts of concessions visually but you're with a great crew of people and you're all in it together and like that can be really rewarding in its own right you know yeah man. and people overlook that and it's easy to overlook it you know but I, you know but I think you can easily make the argument that people might be overlooking it because of their bottom line, yeah. but I think it helps the bottom line. Yeah. I and agree. that it's a part it's a factor in that. Yep. And if you embrace it that way, you know, yep. you're benefiting socially, but I bet your I bet your project looks better too. It totally. I agree. So all right man. Well end on that note. Thanks, bro. Thanks, man.